Hey, this is the What I'm Watching podcast with Chris Cura of Chris Cura Reviews, and this is going to be a pilot episode point one. I'm going to be doing pilot episodes and basically list them out as if they're betas and, you know, alpha trials, point one, point two, point three. I'm going to keep doing it till I feel comfortable enough to have episode one officially. So, you know, here we go. I'm testing out the format, and the format's going to be trailers and news. One, what I'm watching. Two, the main talking point or two for three or four segments and then segment four or five what i'm gonna end with is what's next and some final thoughts as i get more comfortable i'm probably gonna ramble more but overall i want to stick to my main talking points and main topics and try to go through this i would like to keep the episodes the first few under an hour and see how it goes and again this is this is more of a podcast uh single person as of right now and we'll see how it goes so the one I'm watching podcast, pilot episode one. Here we go. So in trailers and news, I want to start off with the news part first. And I'm going to talk about three different pieces of news, even though there's so much from this week in entertainment. One is going to be Loki season two is in development, pre-production from what I understand. That's a good sign for season one. It's probably the more realistic show that they've done that could have multiple seasons. I kind of don't think a lot of the Marvel shows are going to get second seasons. I think they're going to be standalone stories like the Secret Invasion story coming up also. I think Hawkeye might be a, a one to get a second season. I don't think Falcon and Winter Soldier will. I don't definitely don't think WandaVision will get a second season, but we'll see. I don't think they're traditional shows. I think they're arcs in stories, similar to comic arcs. And I think it's probably the better way comic arcs should be done in more modern era where it shouldn't be like we're gonna have like besides a few characters like a spider-man and all that we shouldn't be doing like america chavez you know 30 issues a year you should do an america chavez story and then after that arc and that story's done you move on to another character and you only do the characters when you have an important story to tell with them don't just do a character because it sells unless it's a major one you know i think they try to force feed that a little bit and i think a good example of why you should just focus on character arcs is something like Moon Knight or Silver Surfer with their, you know, award-winning runs in the past. I think though when Silver Surfer died and then Moon Knight when he came back and I think it was uh, Warren's run. Uh, I forgot off the top of my head, but that introduced the design of him in a white-on-white suit. And I think those should be just like how Hawkeye is based off of uh, award-winning run for Hawkeye. You should really only do character arcs when you have the story. It shouldn't be just done because of whatever uh, pop culture or social movement is going on. Or whatever character is, you know, if it's not, if you're not going to get a good writer to do a good story, then there's no point in doing it. Because you're just actually going to set those characters back and make them look bad, I think, by trying to force feed it. Unless you have, and then when you commit, you commit to a 12 issue story for you know, again, I use America Chavez as an example, or something like Kitty Pride or Black Lightning. Like, you could do, if you have a really good story to tell, tell it. You know, it's just like doing, you know, a one-off book about that character, but you're doing it, you're doing the main story. You know, you do like a long Halloween where you have these, you know, what, 12 to 14 issues, and you tell your story, and then, you know, you know, treat a small character story or character run just like that. And then if if you don't have another story to tell with that character, don't do it. You know, which is what makes me excited about Loki Season 2 is that they clearly have another story to tell. And 
it makes you more incentivized to get into Loki over all the other shows. So, again, it was my most excited show for the year out of the Marvel shows. But, again, I don't think you should expect that with all of them. I think WandaVision, I think Secret Evasion, stuff like that, you're not going to get second seasons. I don't know about Moon Knight either because you have such a, you know, reputable actor doing Moon Knight. So, Oscar Isaac, which they also announced they got a director this week. So, it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle each season and each show and each story i don't think they're all going to be done the same which is good you want difference you know we're going from a theatrical society and a weekly television society now to a storytelling society which is better in my opinion and uh, it's going to be a main arc of mine throughout the whole year with all my podcasts second piece of news which i want to split up marvel news with one a different type of news. Michael B. Jordan directing Creed 3. I think I have a very iffy feeling about actors turned directors. I think if you look at the overarching number of actors who had directing stints and failed, there's a lot more than succeeded. But the ones who succeed, Clint Eastwood, Ron Howard, Ben Affleck, you know, they really, really, you know, Penny Marshall is another good one. They really have such good home runs and good careers. So, I'm a little iffy about this. I think that if he doesn't do a good job, I think that this will be the last Creed movie and the last Rocky movie probably ever until they do like, you know, uh, a remake of the original Rocky, which sooner or later is going to happen. Just trust me on that one. Um, Because they can't help themselves. But I think Michael B. Jordan doing it is very interesting. I think one, he has a very uh, superhero and anime-based content love so is he going to take what he ingests and digest his content and reflect it in his own directing because you know if you go like i'm a big fan of anime everyone knows that but i'm a big fan of their storytelling and i think that a lot of people like knock certain series as being like they're doing same themes and same tones and same beats and it's like because it works and it's entertaining and it's good for the story arc so like if he does a megalo box or a uh, Hajime no Aipo type story arc and you know an anime as shown in battle story arc with a western boxing movie we could be in store for something really good if he has writing say that's another thing I want to get into a lot of people don't realize just because you're a director for something doesn't mean you actually have much say it's more of steering a ship not telling you where the ship's going you know, I think we confuse a lot of directors into thinking they're writers at the same time, the same way a Tarantino is, or they have writing influence, the same way a Scorsese does have an influence on the screenplay. I think we don't realize the majority of them are giving a piece of work, and it's like, here, you're giving the piece of work, you're giving the crew, you may have helped select them because it's people you work with, but you're also not technically profound in audio, visual, you know, different types of cameras. You may know. A basic understanding of them from being on set but you may not have a say in what gets used here so you may not have a say in the writing which is the most important part of the story and character development so if michael b jordan's directing something he has no say in the writing with even though he might be on set and then on set in the spur of the moment might have says in certain directions of dialogue and movement and clearly direction that might be the most of his influence. And he might not even have influence in the editing bay, which a lot of people don't. You know, I think a lot of people t- take for granted and over-exaggerate the director's influence with major IPs because they don't have final edit. Like, almost every Marvel film, from what I understand, there's no final edit to any of the directors. 
most IPs don't get final edited to directors. It usually goes to the money men, producers, and, and higher-ups, which is, you know, you're handling a billion-dollar franchise. You're going to not have a say if you're a director and final edit. You might have an edit on the film, but you might not have final edit. So that's really how much control is he going to have? Is he going to have an influence on the story? A lot of those things are going to be major factors that we may never know about, and we usually never do know about. Usually if it's good, we praise the director. Usually if it's bad, we 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 knock the studio nowadays, you know, as in Star Wars, you know, we we don't have an understanding of how things actually work, where it's like the blame could, if it's bad, it's split amongst everyone, and if it's good, it should be split amongst everyone. And we don't understand that the money people and the producers, who may not have storytelling experience, have a lot more say than even we understand with something as simple as the audio and edit. You know, not everyone's like a, you know... N- Christopher Nolan, who I assume has final edit just alone from how the audio is layered in most of his films, like no major studio head or producer is going to probably be pro-layering audio under, you know, expository sound and such an action sound. They would probably layer the audio above it. So a guy like Nolan might actually have final edit, but he's doing original content, original screenplays. Tarantino has final edit. He's doing original stuff. He's more of an artiste director but those are original ips they're creating from scratch and the studios know they're bankable so that's why they're getting it a new actor turned director isn't going to have that so just be very wary you know a lot of that's why they also go with a lot of um big studios go with a lot of young marvel does this a lot where they grab a lot of up-and-coming directors around 40 to 50 you know given they didn't do that with Iron Man, they went with Favreau, who's good, but again, Favreau, you probably weren't expecting him to be so good at Iron Man, but that's neither here nor there, but they usually go with certain, like Taika Waititi and James Gunn, up-and-coming directors, and to, and up-and-coming directors in, in movies means, like, over 40 years old, like, most guys don't, you know, have a hit in their 20s it's the it's people really get confused with the anecdotal people who really boom before 35 before 40 and not realizing that most people don't and marvel goes with them because they're much more easier to influence and much more easier to control to be honest because they need those gigs this is what i'm assuming from a producer you get this young director who has talent watiti you know and you just and they do have an influence on the film, but how much? Like, I think we give James Gunn and Watiti too much credit with influence on the film outside of tone and theme and discussion. And they can sway where the film goes, but also I think people don't realize that, you know, Thor as a franchise, you know, Waititi came on and made the best Thor movie, one of the best Marvel movies, and he probably had a lot of influence on it, but he has to have that influence approved. And in the way, the Thor before that, with the elves and all that, being such a disappointment and not really good at all, or arguably the worst Marvel movie of all time, which is still still a good movie, but the point that that being bad allowed him to have more influence. Where if he came on and, you know, like, I think compared to a Shane Black came on for Iron Man 3... I don't think, I think he probably came up, you come up with ideas, like making The Mandalorian, I mean, making, um, the fucking, ah, I forgot, but making, you know, the, I don't know, I'm, I'm losing the words, but you might be able to influence certain things like time of the year, whether you, you know, 
I don't know. It's I don't I don't really want. I'm, I'm thinking of things to say, but I I kind of feel like the way I'm gonna say them is gonna come off the wrong way and offensive. So I'd rather save the thought for another time and more of a discussion on it later, because I do want to have a major discussion on that. But overall, Michael B. Jordan, actor turned director, I would say it's sixty forty. You know, he probably does a bad job doing it. I just always assume, you know, people think actors are going to be better directors than they actually are. And I don't want to assume that. I like to look at a Clooney where it's like, I like a lot of his directing movies, but they're not always, you know, like Good Night and Good Luck, Ides of March, you know, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I like them, but they're not usually, you know, big hits or big review hits. They're usually niche you know, film critic loved movies, you know, and occasionally he'll get a good, uh, you know, like best director nomination for Good Night and Good Luck, so, you know, but more times than not, you know, directing comes out like a William Shatner, you know, where it just doesn't really hit so well, you know, and in all honesty, like, I didn't, I didn't think Angelina Jolie did a good job with being a director in The Land of Blood and Money a while ago, it was a foreign film, uh, Drew Barrymore, I know people thought she did a good job in Whip It, I didn't like. Uh, Nicolas Cage is another example who tried directing. A lot of guys try directing, they just fail. So just understand that. And they also do very niche things. You know, like Robert Redford did River Runs Through, Quick Show. I think a lot of those type of films he had more influence on, you know. But I think most of the time, they don't. So just don't, you know, glass half full with him directing don't be too negative don't be too positive but understand if he fails a lot of it's gonna be on him and the film franchise is gonna be over i that's my opinion but i'll go see it just because i really like the content he takes in so i'm really hoping because he likes a lot of the same content as me that i can see that come to the western screen so we'll see and news note three before we get to trailer talk wandavision two episode premiere january 15th I'm not so optimistic about this news because it came with a back end of the episodes being 30 minutes apiece. I and many others were underneath the idea the episodes were going to be about an hour apiece or feature episode length, which is about, you know, a 40 to 55 minute run. I didn't realize so far, I would assume now you can read the whole season, nine episodes is 30 minute episodes or 30, 40 minute episodes. So we'll see how it goes from here, but getting... When you think you were already getting an hour of content, but now you're getting an hour of content, but it's being portrayed as two episodes, it's kind of, uh, you know, bittersweet. You know, like, oh, we're getting two episodes, but it's going to be the same amount of time as the one episode you thought you were getting. So, you know, you got to you gotta kind of have to understand that it's, it's maybe not ideal, which I don't hear a lot of people talking about the disappointment besides one or two people where it's like, oh, these are only 30 minute episodes. So if you were getting an hour long episode anyway, this is the same thing that you were expecting, i.e. Mandalorian. And now I think it also has to readjust your whole opinion on um, the whole Marvel TV scenario. Are all the shows going to be 30 minutes? Are all the shows going to, is it all going to be different times? Like I've been saying, I think timing doesn't matter anymore with shows when it's direct to consumer i think it's all about story so if you could tell the episode in 30 minutes better than you could tell the episodes in 37 minutes there's no point in adding that extra fat of seven seven minutes of scenes and episodes and action and budget just for the sake of doing it you know you don't have commercial breaks you don't have ad revenue to appease you don't need to do that you need to focus on the story and as long as the story is good then the streaming service and the and the revenue from that is going to dictate 
the show's length. So, and it's all about views at that point. So you need just a 30 minute great episodes better than a 38 minute mediocre episode, you know? So you don't, you don't need to fill in time anymore. You just need to tell your story. So good and bad. I think that's the direction everything's going where it's more story based, but you know, if you want to be glass half full, that means they, they have 30 great minutes coming. They didn't need more minutes. They had, they know what they're doing. So I'm excited. You know, I, I th I'm really excited for WandaVision. I think it's, you know, we're so thirsty and hungry for Marvel content and superhero content. And it's so easy to use as escape escapism, especially, you know, in this time and age, which I think people don't realize. You know, all the knock against IP content and, you know, bullshit-based content, which I'm going to do a video on one day because it's literally the idea of knocking something based on an already a non-original property is literally the basis of all fiction so you know i think and especially films like i think the first film ever not the first oscar award-winning film was based on robin hood or something like that so it's not it's based on an old story so the idea of like oh well i don't care about superheroes i don't care about they used to do the same thing about pulp novels and film noirs and and i'm and then action stories and all that. It's, you know, Tom Clancy, I don't care about Tom Clancy, I don't care about this one. It's, dude, it's not for you. And it, by the way, most people don't care. On the, they watch every bit of it. So, you know, not everything's going to be an artistic masterpiece. And, you know, depressing pieces of a woman type movie. It's going to be, you know, sometimes there's film meant to entertain for entertainment's sake. For smiles and good times and fun times. So, you know, that's where Marvel fits in for me. And it's, and you know, sometimes you do have a heartwarming artist point of view and i think you're gonna get that with some of the tv shows don't be surprised because you got that with mandalorian season two you got really high done art and the technology is really you know accelerating so you're gonna see a lot of things done with um marvel and tv shows so again glass heffel it actually is a good sign it means they're they're not adding fat for fat's sake they're really hitting the stories well so we should be excited so on to trailers which i count as news nowadays because we do so much digestion of trailers and there's so much packed into trailers nowadays. So I'm going to go over all the trailers that have premiered since, excuse me, since New Year's. We got Coming to America 2. I'm not that excited about it. I think it's just unnecessary and I don't even think they can make the jokes they made back then that made it funny. I think we got Murder's Trance, which is okay looking. We got Little Things, which is going to be the first HBO Max movie to premiere. That was supposed to be a theatrical release. That's part of that whole Warner Brothers, you know, uh, straight to direct to consumer thing. I think that movie looks phenomenal. And it's literally the perfect movie for a streaming service. And it's actually a movie where it's if they charged, you know, $15, $20 to stream it for 24 hours, I probably would have anyway. You know, Denzel Lead, Rami Malek, Jared Leto, serial killer, detective, thriller. I don't think you get a lot of those movies made anymore because we have to have such high profit margins on a theater run. So I think, again, direct to consumer, the little thing starring Denzel looks amazing. I think the success and the views from that, you're going to see a lot more. Just like have you saw with Netflix and a bunch of their films. You're going to see a lot more films you wouldn't normally see get theater runs and get created and get, and get produced. Get produced. You had the One Night in Miami trailer, which I'm not excited for this film, even though it has rave reviews, just because it's based on a play and it's based on, you know, a fictional situation and it's gonna be all like I, I already know how ham-fisted it's gonna be and it's gonna be inspirational and it's gonna be great portrayals by the actors and it's gonna be very good but it's gonna be like literature theater good you know and I think 
it's going to be nominated for an Oscar, so I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm definitely going to like it. Like, I, you can tell already you're going to like the film, and it's going to be some very interesting dialogue and conversation set pieces. But I think it's one of those, like, okay, it's it's good. It has good, you know, it's based on good property. It has a lot of uh, timely moments and conversa- conversation pieces, and the trailer does it a lot of justice, you know. I'm excited for it. I'm always excited for like Malcolm X portrayals. I'm always excited for, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali portrayal. I don't, I think the Muhammad Ali portrayal looked like the weakest out of the four. I think the Sam Smith and the Jim Brown portrayals look very interesting because usually you don't get that. It's very interesting. We haven't gotten a Jim Brown or a Sam Smith movie, at least from my knowledge in recent history. So don't be surprised if we get one of those in the next few years. Another movie is Lockdown, which wasn't supposed to be a theater run it's a movie made during last year during lockdown for hbo max so i don't count it as part of the warner brothers releases it's going to be hbo max you know it's it's an interesting it seems like it's a it's a marriage story mixed in with a heist movie with anne hathaway and chuatel again pronunciations on my thing so i'm very intrigued in it it seems entertaining like i said it's a lot easier to click on these movies especially the movies that aren't too dense with subject matter when they're direct to consumers. So a film like that, I can see myself watching on a Saturday night if I have nothing else to watch. And I probably will end up watching that film within like two weeks of it coming out because it will be a night within two weeks where I have two hours where I'm like, okay, let me check this out, you know? And But also you're more prone to like, if you don't like something like that in the first 20, 30 minutes, you're gonna shut it off. So there's the con with the whole direct to consumer thing in my opinion, but I think, they're going to be like, I think that's a, that I think the little things is a film you'll probably watch all the way through because, because of the content and it being a thriller and being like, ah, oh, what the hell, let me watch this movie. And then Lockdown is one of those films where it's like, if it's good enough in the first 20, 30 minutes, you're just going to watch the whole film within the first two weeks of it coming out. Where if it's a theater run, Lockdown is, would probably bomb. And then little things would not do so well or the budget would have to be lowered. You also got a trailer for Malcolm Mary, which was shot during lockdown with Zendaya and John David Washington. I am super excited for this. I'm a big Zendaya fan. I own a ton of Zendaya stock. I think she, Euphoria and, you know, Far From Home and, you know, the Spider-Man movies and also a few other pieces I saw her in. I forget. Not Disney. I, I honestly didn't know she was from Disney till, uh she started going mainstream but i really think this is an interesting movie i really like that it's in black and white i like that it's shot by the euphoria uh showrunner sam levinson i like the content of it i like the emotional drama of it i i personally just love the fact that she's boiling macaroni and mixing with butter and cheese and shit like a normal human being type thing no matter how rich and how lavish their lifestyles seems in the movie it's like that's some real at some real like late night you get home you need something to eat let's boil pot of pasta I, every, I, most people have been there those late nights so that's pretty interesting like it's such a weird thing that got me intrigued plus i'm also like i'm buying john david washington stock since tenant i don't think it was the most stellar multiverse uh, you know multifaceted acting performance but john david washington's a leading man like you can see he can he can he can command the leading role and a star role and against someone who can command just any screen in Zendaya. It's, it seems so interesting and the content matter, you know, shot older and locked down in a house in one, just two actors on screen. I'm always intrigued in those type of showings to see what they can do with such limitations. So there's that. Now I'm going to talk about the last trailer I saw before I watched, before I started filming. Cherry, Tom Holland. I don't really know much about this film. The 
trailer is it's from the Russo brothers. It's with Tom Holland. I own a ton of Tom, Tom Holland stock at this point. He can do no wrong. I'm so excited for more Spider-Man, Uncharted. I, I thought he was great in Devil all the time. I think he's just a great young actor, even though he's only like a few years younger than me. He's in his late 20s, I think. I think he's 27. You know, he looks like he's 12, but he's in 27. And I think Cherry seems like one of these movies where it's like this multifaceted weirdo who joins the military and then something happens after it i haven't looked at the description or information about it all i saw was the trailer it was very intriguing it was very creepy yet thrilling and i'm excited to see what he's going to be doing in that film so you know cherry with tom holland again you got a bunch of good trailers with a bunch of big names zendaya john david washington tom holland you got a uh, social movement movies like one night in miami you got denzel and rami malik and jared leto and little things you got a lot of you know eddie murphy returning for coming to america you have a lot of big things and hathaway you know chiwetel j4 you know you have uh direct consumer films all direct consumer films all could be big films too in their own right all have a lot of things riding on them so you know from a trailer standpoint there were a lot of decent trailers dropped this year and i definitely would recommend going and check them out my top my top two or three i would recommend i think malcolm mary is my number one trailer of the week i think little things my number two especially if you're a thriller fan and then if you're one something more socially aware i think one night in miami will get you excited and will get you excited for oscar season so there's that's that's it for trailer news let's move on to what i watched this week what i'm watching Okay, let me, I'd rather get this out of the way first. Uh, anime, I watched ReZero Season 1, Season 2, Part 2, Episode 1. Uh, great episode, picks up where the last one left off. It makes you excited about seeing how a newly reinvigorated main protagonist takes the story and the direction they're going and how they're now starting to peel back layers on secondary and tertiary characters or introduced, or introduced in this season. So that, I really like the direction they're going. I cannot praise the uh, property enough so let me just get on to my other thing again ReZero premieres on Wednesdays you can watch it Promise Neverland also premieres on Wednesdays you can watch the dub of that on Funimation and Hulu uh, soon I think the sub's the only thing coming on but Funimation is going to do the dub I'm pretty sure in the next few weeks I don't know 100% but go check that out Promise Neverland season 2 started I love that they didn't take place right after the end of season 1 I like how they took place a little after in the middle of action and they and they did the build-up, and they left the episode on a cliffhanger that's very interesting. They went right into introducing the demons, and it pretty much picks up the tone and escalates it from first season, where it's much more dire circumstances, much more thrilling, creepy, horror vibes, and I really like it, and it makes you excited to see what's next for the kids. And then my final anime watch of the week that's new is Jujutsu Kaisen uh, I've been only really watching the dub since the premiere on Crunchyroll I think the dub is great for this I think if you can just uh, sustain from watching uh, for the sub and go on to watching the dub I really like where the show's going I like its take on shonen type series and I like the action I like the character arcs I like the you know I like a good little you know power up super strong characters demons it reminds me a lot of a uh, Yu Yu Hakusho type of show. Not exactly like it, but more like Yu Yu Hakusho post Sensui type tone, but with the intro to Yu Yu Hakusho post him dying. And I like that there's a lot of, if you're a Yu Yu Hakusho fan, you're going to like Jujutsu Kaisen 100%. The art's done real well. And I think 
the escalation on the new story arc with introducing more students and reintroducing, uh, you know, the demons and a little time skipping to escalate the storytelling is really good. And I like how they're not trying to do, again, new age anime, they don't do fillers as much unless it's uh, a weekly show like a One Piece, which they're so far, you know, they're just... It's a different type of show. So Jujutsu Kaisen really done well. Season 1. I think they're on 8 episodes so far. 9th is coming out. The 15th. So you know. So far so good with that. Now on non-anime shows. I really didn't watch many TV shows this week. I watched History of Swear Words. Episode 1 about fuck. Uh, Hilarious. I was laughing. It's not the greatest type of show that it does like that but it reminds me of like the VH1 old face camera shows. Which I always found like a good watch. Especially... If you have not much else going on, you know, I know, I know that may not be like the most endearing thing to say, oh, if you have nothing else, it's a good watch. But you know, if you like curse words, you want a good little chuckle and laugh and, and like bullshit history lessons, like history of swear words, good. I'm kind of saving. That's not a show I want to binge. I'm kind of, the next episode I think is shit. And I'm kind of saving that for the next time I like want like half an hour of just something I can numb out and laugh to. So, but it's good. Nicolas Cage is a great host for a show like that. It kind of works real well. And it's like weird, kooky. It does have historical facts, I guess, in it. Take that with a grain of salt. But it's funny and it's it's really interesting take. And again, you can't do a show like that for any televised ad-based revenue sources. You only can get that with direct-to-consumer on Netflix. And I think it only is going to get better as people start to, you know delve into that type of atmosphere and tone more and more so i think it's the beginning of a lot of funny bit type shows i also rewatched euphoria special part one because i kind of you know i know part two is coming out soon so i wanted to hit on that beforehand and refresh it uh it's just an amazing 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 you know it's amazing side episode like i know it's probably not gonna have a shit ton to do with the canon but I think it's just like a good introspective on two characters. You know, it's a good introspective on, you know, Zendaya. She does a great job. You know, they're they're stuck in a diner. Her and, hmm, let me find his name. Coleman Domingo, who had a great performance in, in uh, The Fear of the Walking Dead. And another great performance in uh, recent Ma Rainey's. Black Bottom, it was just like, it was a really good episode, back and forth dialogue, Christmas episode, it makes me excited to see what they're going to do with the second special episode, it gives you a little layered to the characters, and I think it really does a character like Coleman, an actor, and a character like Ali, Coleman Domingo's character, justice, where it gives you more to understand about these people, and their motives, and their history, and you usually can't get too much history from uh, secondary or tertiary characters in a show like this, you know, or I think he's a tertiary character, but second characters, you get some levels. But, you know, it's a good dialogue piece, and it's very um, philosophy-based, and I really like that. I like that you could sit down for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and go back and forth and really see a modern-day, you know, Socratic, Plato-type conversation play out between, you know, trying to recover drug addicts in a fictional crazy world between a teen and an older man so i'm very i was very happy with that so that was a really uh refreshing you know cut of deep quality you know it is what it is now when it comes to what i watched this week with movies i'm going to know four movies i watched bits of other things but one i did my review on pieces of a woman 
I think you can go there for the review. I think this is just a Vanessa Kirby star piece. I don't think Shia LaBeouf was right for the role, but I don't think he gives a bad performance. I think every other actor and actress in that movie does horrible. I think, you know, I just don't think, I, you know, again, I, I hate always knocking older actresses and actors because whenever you do and then you find out they were in some great stuff like 40 years ago, 30 years ago, you, people try to treat you like an asshole, but also in this exact movie, it just wasn't good. You know, I don't think Elijah Schlesinger made any sense here. She's a comedian and she has a bunch of non, you know, a really distressful, dramatic roles that make no sense. I think that you could have eliminated her whole sister. In this whole, like, you could have literally made her sister's boyfriend who sells the cars just her brother and made that and eliminated the sister character in total. And that's part of my big things with the film where it's just pacing issues and fat issues where it's just like you could have cut a lot of things and, and delved into more other things. Like, again, more Vanessa Kirby. Like, I can watch her walk around a fruit section of a store and sniff apples and and figure and you know like it's so deep that scene and she's so good at you know stretching it out and and acting like again I think people don't realize how much acting goes into non-verbal scenes and those are some of the most important scenes a la you know Michael Corleone Al Pacino in Godfather Part 2 you know or Robert De Niro in Godfather Part 2 where it's like the most acting acting scenes don't involve words in my opinion especially for film and television and something for on camera it's not theater where you have to project yourself or you know something like that where it's close space I think she is shown that she's a leading lady she's a top tier leading lady in my opinion I think she can rival the major leading ladies right now who I would probably say is Margot Robbie one I think Zendaya is going there you know there's a few other actresses there but I really can't think of them off the top of my head right now but I think I think Vanessa Kirby's in that list with Margot Robbie now where it's like they should be competing for top tier leading roles you know I don't know if Jen Jennifer Lawrence did too so like she's she should be in that category she's an A-class actress I think she should be nominated for she definitely should be one of the top five nominated Oscars for best actress this year if not win it I, I know there's Nomadland and other films like that that are probably going to come in and they're our Ma Rainey's block, Black Bottom with Viola Davis. They're going to come in and probably be leaders. But so far, like this is definitely a better performance than Viola Davis and Ma Rainey, in my opinion. And a lot of it's all done with, with just acting without words. You know, again, I go back to that scene on the couch when her and Shia LaBeouf are having a back and forth about Shia LaBeouf complaining about things and she rolls her eyes but also changes her facial tones multiple times. Like, and that's realism. Like, you know, when someone's not watching you, when you're having a conversation with someone, especially a significant other, you're changing tones like that. You're like rolling your eyes. You're like, oh my God, Jesus. Like you can see like, it, you can see on her facial expression when people are complaining about her life and how her reactions are, and she's like, why you, like, I care, who cares, you know, like, she has that same, fr she expresses frustration, and doubt in people's genuity so well, without saying it, and it really carries the whole movie, she, again, she carries the whole movie, it, it's not a good movie, a rewatchable movie, in my viewpoint at all, I think it hits on a very serious subject matter, which is nice to watch, but I think it's the subject matter you'll watch it for, and Vanessa Kirby, and you'll really, like, love Vanessa Kirby from it, other movies I watch, I watch Gotti, HBO show, HBO movie Gotti, with Amanda Sante, um, it was, it was, it's the best portrayal of Gotti, it's one of the best gangster films of all time, in my opinion, I think it's, I don't think it gets rerun enough. It, you know, Amanda Asante is one of the most underrated actors of all time. But 
my mother loves the film. I love the film. I think it's the true rise and fall of a crime boss. And I think it's one of the best gangster films of all time. And it, and you can actually go find it on YouTube. Like, you really can go find it on YouTube. So don't be surprised uh, about how much you like that film. And a lot of it's historically accurate, scary enough. It's really, really done well. It's one of HBO's original films from, I think it was like 1996, 1995, 7, right around there. So, you know, it follows the rise and fall of John Gotti and the people around him. And it's it's it literally like if this same thing came out today, this would be an Oscar award-winning performance. And it would and you, everyone would be talking about it. So, you know, it's not that other trash-ass Gotti film that uh, Travolta was a part of. I don't know why they did that, but... My mother loves this film. She loves it. Okay, on to other films. I watched... I always go back... I, I always like talking about the rewatchable films and like what I like to digest over... I'll rewatch films over and over again. I watched The Nice Guys and Once Upon a Time this week, which I usually... I have them... Like, Nice Guys, whenever it's on streaming, I usually have it on, queued up because I can always like put it on in the background. I just... These films are very high art, in my opinion, just because they're not serious subject matter. It's high art. It's well done writing, it's well done characters, it's great acting, it's fun films while also having good action. It's just something, and it's also something you could pick up any part into the film for both these things for me, and that's really redeeming factors for me. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that they came up watching film and TV on VHS and at home, so they forget that, you know, one of the major things is being able to, you know, maybe you can throw a VHS in and it's stuck halfway through the movie and sometimes you don't want to rewind it because of how long it takes so you'll just start to film and to me that was always one of the redeeming features about films i love is like i can start it anywhere in the film and just go and then get to the end and then rewind it before i put it back and then you know start it over again which is what i love about like once upon a time and nice guys right now i've rewatched a few like i've put it on a few times either from the beginning or from wherever i left off last and i just uh you know have it on when i'm eating dinner or something like that or late at night when i can't figure out what else to watch so really good movies i'm really intrigued i saw uh princess bride which i i want to get to to watch i think that's going to be like a friday or saturday night viewing one time in the next few weeks i'm really intrigued in that there's also a few good action films like Salt and hmm, I saw a bunch of classic films on on HBO Max. I need to watch. I need to rewatch Eight and a Half, but uh, there's a lot of good films on on all the channels. You know, you have you have Catch Me If You Can on Netflix. Like, there's a bunch of things you can click on. Other things that aren't new or notable that I've been watching. I watched Bob's Burgers a lot this past week. I, you know, it's a little easy thing to watch. My dog likes watching it. I'm not even kidding about that. He watches when I put it on the TV while I'm working. He's always staring at the TV and watching it for hours, so it distracts him, and it's good for me. And it's a good little chuckle for me to turn to watch vibrant colors, especially when you're looking at Excel sheets all day. You're just—it's a good break. Um, other than that, just the regular routine stuff. You know, I watched. Watched Transformers a few weeks ago, you know, at the beginning of the year. Again, Transformers on Netflix is great. You know, I, I can go into every little thing I watch. I, again, I like, I will also bring up that I think not enough entertainment talkers or, or reviewers who movies and TVs don't talk about sports. Like, the NFL playoffs are on right now. The, right now, I'm recording this right before the beginning of the first game of the Sunday games on uh, 110. I think the playoffs have been great this season. I think sports 
are vying for the same views as everything else nowadays. It's not split. People who watch NFL watch Netflix, watch Hulu, watch etc. So for those three hours, they're all competing with each other. You know what I'm saying? I think because things are on demand, you're not as in a rush to put that, you know, to watch them over something live. So live, you know, sports live premieres have a slight advantage over, you know, pre-recorded direct-to-consumer. I can click play right after the sport is done. But, you know, from a sports fan and from a football fan viewpoint, the NFL games have been great. It's great playoffs so far. And it's top-notch entertainment. And now on to my main, I'm going to do this quick. I actually really, I had like three, four pages of notes about this, but I think that's going to go on for three, four hours if I really just ramble about it. But, you know, Trebek died and Trebek's last episode premiered this week from, you know, he stopped filming 10 days before he died and that premiered. And that made me think about non-fictional shows and people in it because Trebek means a lot to a lot of people like my mother loves watching Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune she loves it especially you know since a few problems a few years ago she really you know falls into watching those shows at 7 and 7 30 so you you build a connection with these type of hosts and to me I didn't have that really with Trebek I, I appreciate Trebek I like Jeopardy um but I more like Trebek from like a Saturday Night Live Trebek skit standpoint but I really you know you gotta respect these guys who come in and out and really mean a lot and it made me starting to think his passing and the thought of what he means to the everyday viewers meant a lot about the only celebrity I ever cried when they died was Anthony Bourdain and I do want to do a separate thing about Anthony Bourdain how much he means to me later on but I think a lot of people don't respect the entertainment value and you know the the personal value these people bring to people's lives on a daily basis who host shows and it may not be oh it's a travel show it might be Burt Kreischer oh it's a it's a you know it's Howie Mandel on on uh what do you call it make a deal it's the sharks on shark tanks like it may not be fictionalized content or storytelling content but they mean so much to the people who watch them because it isn't it to entertainment it is an escapism it may be a competition it may be you know documentary based you know it's these people mean so much to people you know alex trebek made meant so much to so many people because he touched them every day and even it could be as simple as you know 30 minutes with commercial breaks but like people would interact with his show would be fans of him he was noticeable you know he also the thing that connects Trebek and Bourdain to me is like they they became successful later on in their life which is more of a story for successful people throughout history is most people aren't successful young most people aren't successful 20s and 30s they usually become successful late 40s you know 40s 50s 60s but you know like they kind of give you the idea each in their own way that you could keep on going on and their entertainment was like that too it was it was you know keep trying put a good showing on if you win you move on to the next show but you know going more on to what Bourdain meant to me it's more of you know such a guy who gives you such you know it helps you touch things that you never touch same way Jeopardy does where I'm never going to be interested in going to Iran or even like Leon or you know other parts of the world the Congo and such that Bourdain did or even New Jersey he had a few episodes which I find disgusting place to go sometimes but he has uh that's a joke I went to school there um but is it but he had a lot of episodes with places that like personally like 
you know, like, I always want to go to Tokyo. I do want to go to parts of Italy. I want to go to parts of South America. Cuba episode was great. And he always opened your mind. You know, his Hawaii episodes were great, too. Italy episodes were phenomenal. You know, all Thailand, Vietnam, all those type of episodes were great. And he opened your mind to these places. And not in the way of, like, we, like, to me, I always, um, I hate when people, especially childish, you know, upper, middle, upper class people talk about vacations, especially once they went on a kid, because it's like, you, you didn't explore nothing, okay, just because you maybe went to Jamaica and jumped off a rock into water, that's not exploring the culture, that's not even exploring the food, you probably stuck to all the tourist attractions, you know, like 99% of people who go to Italy talk about how great Italy is, but they went to all the touristy spots, where like Bourdain would actually go down the blocks, would walk on the side streets and the places he would go would be the places that locals would go which is actually the culture which is actually interesting and you know for me as someone who doesn't travel a lot and only traveled outside of the country once and that's to Canada and then only traveled in the country a few times and mostly to mostly the northeast and Vegas you know the idea of exploring both your mind and locations and then expanding your viewpoint of everything was very you know connected to him since I'm about 19 since since you know his first early shows so you know I think these guys have a lot more influence than people know I think I think guys like Trebek and you know Anthony Bourdain have more influence you know I think guys who I think a guy Freire might have more influence you know it sounds stupid to some people but he might have more influence and more meaning to people because of the frequency and because of the humanness of what they touch and the relatability to what they the tackle the subjects they tackle then like even Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt or high-end actors or actresses because those people are such superstars and live in fantasy and we watch them and look at them from a fairy tale viewpoint the same way people look at you know you know British princesses and princes and queens who actually have no power but uh, that's neither here nor there I don't know why we care about them I rather watch Disney princesses and watch any of that, but that's neither here nor there. But they have more meaning. Like like an Anthony Bourdain has more meaning and much more, maybe even to less people. But his importance and volume is so much more important that it's just it's not even close how much more important they are. It's like the amount of people that were touched by Trebek's show, the amount of people who participated, in it, the amount of people who you know participated live or from home and stuck with it, and it was a go-to thing like. Oh, fuck, I had a bad day. Let me go watch some uh, Jeopardy. Let me go watch. And this guy was there for them. You know, not purposely, not in an artistic way, not in a poetic way, not in a comedic way. He was just, I'm here to host a show. You can rely on this quality. You can rely on my hosting abilities. You can re- rely on a certain floor level of content. And, you know, they always delivered for their viewers and for their fans. And even for people who weren't fans who just checked in on occasionally, you know, you knew what you were getting and you knew how you could connect to the material. And it is material because it is entertainment. It is, you know, a game show is entertainment. You know, I I connected. I was talking about Confessions of a Dangerous Mind earlier, uh, fictional telling about game show hosts. You know, who says he was a, a real game show host said he was a, you know, CIA assassin. But, like, there's a part in that show when they're talking about it. And they're talking about, you know, oh, well, you know, do you think you do more for America assassinating, you know, villains? You know, they're talking to, you know, Sam Rockwell's character, who's, uh, I think he's, what, Chuck Barris? Chuck Berry? popular game show host gong show and dating show and all that and he's 
And there's this like scene where it's like you probably do more good for America hosting the show. And the laughter and people like and it's funny because from the viewpoint it's the killings are more admirable and more useful to America than and the TV show hosting is more disgusted by mainstream America. But also like even the people who knock that type of stuff are living off of it and getting content off of it. And you know, it's the funny part is like a TV show host like that, like people who hated Anthony Bourdain, a lot of people, uh, right wing base, you know, and I'm not going into politics, but like a lot of them didn't like him because of his political viewpoint sometimes, but like a lot of their fans would also still watch the show. I know a lot of right wing people watch the show, but like the point that he, the point that you could still provoke from a very hosting standpoint, from an exploratory standpoint, and not from a content fictional standpoint, not from a a writing standpoint like this is more of we're going to put a lens on this person and his world whether it's a game show whether it's a travel channel show and it's going to provoke a reaction it's so meaningful to so many people especially you know i just think in in everywhere not just america but it's just so you know if you can elicit that same type of devotion and and reaction with a tv show you have a massive success you know that's the thing people don't realize is that if you have if you elicit the reaction people have for Trebek's death and Trebek's meaning to them on Jeopardy, you will have, you know, uh, Tony Soprano type. Like, that's really a good comparison is him to Tony Soprano. And when Gandolfini died and people were so upset because that person was in their living room with them for so long and their, their lives were so tied with that person's life. And, you know, you might be like, well, you know, Sopranos is a artwork masterpiece series great writing filmmaking blah 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 acting but jeopardy's just there too and so is alex trebek like there's a lot of key you know similarities between the actors who you associate with like oh they were with me you know I, I was with tony soprano every sunday night for 10 years and it's like alex trebek was with you every night forever for 30 40 years you know and these type of people don't get enough appreciation as entertainers as you know, part of a narrative, whether it's purposeful or not, we, we really need to start appreciating those type of people. And to me, like, it made me think so much about Anthony Bourdain and how his TV show and tuning in every week was so meaningful to me, even though it wasn't a fictional show. And, you know, it was very documentary based, but it's very exploratory. And Jeopardy was very similar to that, where it's like you learned a lot of facts and informations, and you know, even if it's one question that made you go on a Google search after the episode, it did it. It did open your mind up, and you did connect. And it was all because of the host and and their consistency and their level of proficiency and their level of professionalism. And I think we need to get more back to that. And I think we all need to respect a professional. You know, just because someone flips burgers doesn't mean they're any lesser of a chef than a five star chef. They're still providing you a service sometimes i honestly I, if for how much people eat fast food you want that fast food burger to be more proficient you know you want that guy to be better at his job so you know just because something someone does something lesser in your eyes but you still consume it do not uh devalue the consumption so you know that's a quick little rant i had something a little longer in multiple issues but i didn't really I, you know it's i i think it's i think it's good to keep it at a rant like that trebek means a lot to storytellers and to narratives and to shows and to entertainment and you know there's a long history of you know guys and their influence on that and there's going to be a documentary done on him one day just like there should be on everyone you know who provide entertainment to millions for decades you know there's something of value to that that's so insane that it's just you know 
it's hard to put into words how important a person like that is to the entertainment world and how special it is to be able to be so good at your job in entertainment and to be a host on that level and to do that day in day out for what seems like forever so you know to Trebek to guys like that to host of shows you know you may not be on the same level of you know paparazzi stardom fake stardom as like an Instagram influencer or a you know a top actor you know but you're you know you're the Daniel Day Lewis's of your of your of your craft, you know. Like you're just so professional and you do it so well that you deserve the respect. So you know, and you mean a lot to more people than people think. So people don't actually take in the you know viewpoint of how important these people are. So there's that. There's my quick little rant. That's my main talking subject of this week. You know what's next? What's coming up this upcoming week? Um, Music, I don't know. I, I've been kind of making a point to try to maybe add a little extra music into some of my videos and talk about them. But because so many album drops are so last minute nowadays and I only really listen to rap, hip-hop, you know, R&B and such, it's, you know, I don't know how much of an influence it's going to be on my channel or my podcast. I think the big leader this week is WandaVision. You get Friday, episode one and two. I think from a... Uh, satirical standpoint i am a bill maher fan uh not everything he says but i think that's the point of being a fan is like you're not a diehard uh you're a fan not a fanatic uh i think there's a big difference nowadays he returns on friday that's a good show it's one of the only uh, political satire shows i watch anymore um that's pretty much it i don't think does anything else come out this week i think it's pretty much gonna be that it's gonna be football again next weekend i think you have the ufc fights if you're a fight fan you have you know uh ufc premiere on abc that's big for entertainment that's big for ratings that's gonna be big you have a former champion and star max holloway by first and uh calvin kadar and if you uh if you're interested in that i'm gonna have a short little um episode on my sports channel prop sports network prop sports network and i'm going to try to talk a little bit about uh more modern popular sports that i'm into and maybe the gambling aspect and the analytical aspect of some of them and i want to do a little quick breakdown of the main card of that fight i think that counts as entertainment because when you're watching ufc you're not watching anything else you know it's eyes on tv for that and wandavision that's pretty much it like i said you know this consistent anime that i'm watching re-zero promise neverland jujutsu kaisen that's for this season i think i'll probably watch another episode of history of swear words and then i plan on getting to a few movies on you know the streaming services i would like to do princess bride i would also you know i have to watch deadpool 2 because i watched deadpool 1 at the beginning of the year and i want to do a back-to-back -back review of those two movies and i think um I think that's pretty much it. I think Euphoria is special. Oh, the Tiger Woods documentary is coming out also this week, I think, with his, f and it's very serious tone. I only saw a snippet of the trailer. I didn't want to watch the whole trailer and ruin it. I'm very interested in it. I know the reviews are mixed because some people don't like the dark tone and the uh, fat and the focus on his personal and upbringing, but I actually like the idea of that. And I would like, to, I hope, if they give a good, respectful portrayal of his career so far, and they tie that in, I think it could be a great watch. And HBO usually does, you know, those type of documentaries, specifically sports documentaries, real well. My mother's a big sports documentary fan. She loved, like, uh, Showtime's Hector Camacho documentary, which was phenomenal, which I only saw clips of, which I want to watch now, too. Um, 
other than that, that's pretty much what's going on. It's light on content right now. I think it's going to start picking up after WandaVision premieres. I don't think there's really much new in live action TV shows that I'm interested in right now. I'm expecting before the end of the month, we start getting some announced for some Netflix shows that were in production, specifically Stranger Things 4. I think we're going to hear about, I think we hear about that within the next 60 days, you know, and I think... You know, while recording this is breaking news that supposedly the rumor is Bond's going to be pushed one more month and they're trying to figure something out with that, which, again, I don't know what they're going to do. I think they should just go direct to consumer, put a $30 price tag on it, 24-hour rental, call it a day, see what happens, or just sell it to Netflix for the per- Netflix supposedly offered like $400 million. You know, like, I don't, again, I know it's a huge decision, but you kind of can't hold that movie for more than, you know, two years, especially with you wanting to move on to the next bond so okay so not bad for um pilot episode point one, fifty-six, fifty-seven minutes so far and you know i think it's not so bad so i'll you know we'll see how it goes i'll try to fine tune this any criticism let me know uh, this is chris cure reviews this is the what i'm watching podcast pilot episode point one so thank you for listening and hopefully you know we can you know build on this so we'll see what happens Chris Cure Reviews, What I'm Watching Podcast, point one, stay active, stay healthy, and stay happy. Peace out.